Have you ever experienced uh, just a, a major disruption in your life? Uh, let me let me ask it a different way. Have you had kids? <laughs> right? Am I right? Having kids, it's the perfect example of what I'm talking about here. It's something that we more or less willingly choose, right? I mean, this is probably a decision that you entered into on purpose. And, and though maybe you felt confident, okay, we're ready to have kids now. <laughs> yeah. You had no idea what you were getting into, did you? I mean, you, you, you made the choice. You, you submitted to it. This is, this is something you embraced, and yet you really had, had no clue what was coming. Every parent has moments where we think, what have I done? I, I am not ready for this. You know, you have that moment of panic where you just think, I have no idea what I'm doing. And this is someone's life that I'm, I'm learning with, you know. As life goes on, we have moments, though, where we understand that it's more than just this overwhelming task. It's also an overwhelming honor. There, there are moments when we suddenly realize that the God has given us this amazing privilege to love and to care for and to nurture this little person. <laughs> and how overwhelming that, that can be. Life goes on where we need to be reminded that it is an honor. Isn't that right? I mean, that, that's parenting. It, it's this pendulum that swings back and forth. You have this moment where you're overwhelmed with, I have no clue what I'm doing. And then you're overwhelmed over here with, this is this amazing responsibility that God has given me. And we need to be reminded of what an honor and what a blessing it is, especially in those moments like when your kid's diaper suddenly meets a force far greater than it was engineered to contain. <laughs> right, parents? Been there? Or, or worse, when you're arguing with your teenager about that same thing, whatever it is, yet again. There are moments we, we need to be reminded uh, of what a privilege it is because it disrupts your life. You have this plan of, of what it is that you're going to do today or what it is you're going to accomplish in this season or, or what it is you're going to do in life and then this disruption of your own choosing comes in and throws everything off. Three words that will help us as we deal with these God-sent, blessed disruptions. Not just kids, but every God-sent, blessed disruption. Acceptance, fellowship, and worship. Acceptance, fellowship, and worship. I, I think that's what we find in our passage this morning. It's a passage that 
you are going to find incredibly familiar. Uh, it's a shame we didn't sing a Christmas carol uh, in our, our worship service this morning. Uh, because we're going to be looking at the announcement of the birth of Jesus, a passage we look at every December. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 1 and found beginning in verse 26. I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to ask you to follow along in your own Bibles. If you do this, if you'd stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, and I'm going to pick up reading in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Here's what Luke writes. He says, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. 
His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and she returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that we would, we would understand the things that are written, and God, that we would see the truths that are presented here and the intersection of our lives with them. God, I pray that that you would speak to us and encourage us and strengthen us. And Lord, draw us to yourself through the speak to each one. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, to understand what we just read, we, we've got to remember uh, the context. And really, to, to understand what we just read here, we've got to think first of the ultimate context, the, the big picture, uh, really the biggest picture context. And I don't want to go back too far because we've only got till, what, three or four this afternoon uh, to get this done. So I'm kidding. As some of you, your eyes are big, panic setting in. We've got to remember that God created. God created mankind but mankind rebelled, turned his back on God, sinned, and fell. God created in perfection. Man rebelled, bringing sin into the world. But God was not content to leave us there. And so God has chosen to redeem. And so from the, the very beginning, we see with Adam and Eve there in the garden and in chapters one and two, we, we see how God created and God made all things good. But then in chapter three, we see how Adam and Eve fell into sin. They rebelled and even hid from God. They separated themselves from God. But God steps in. I think it's interesting. It says that he made them clothes out of animal skins. The first sacrifice the first shedding of blood to cover sin. And God makes a promise there in the midst of, uh, of explaining to Adam and Eve the, the consequences of what has happened. He makes a promise there in Genesis 3, to speaking actually to our enemy, the devil. He, he says that, that there is going to come one who will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's the first hint it's the first clue that God is going to send a redeemer. That God is going to himself come to be our savior. That he is going to redeem. Uh, you know, the story goes on and we pick it up again. And we could pick it up in many, many places. But in Genesis 22, there's a man who was Abram. God has now changed his name to Abraham. God has taken this childless man, Abram, and his wife, Sarai, and he has given them a son, Isaac, and a promise that through this son, he would build a nation. But more than that, that through this son would come the greatest blessing of all to all the earth, not just to Abraham and his descendants. 
But then God does something with Abraham that is unthinkable. And he asks Abraham to go to the mountain and to sacrifice his son. And, and dad and son are walking up the mountain and Isaac is carrying the wood and, and Abraham's got the knife and they've got the fire and Isaac's no dummy. He notices they're missing something for this sacrifice. He says, but dad, where's, where's the lamb? Well, what are we sacrificing on this here mountain? And Abraham says something very interesting. In Genesis 22, he says, God himself will provide the lamb. In the, in the Hebrew language, it, it, it's stated very simply that God will provide himself the lamb. I think we could read that God will provide himself as the lamb, the sacrifice, the savior who will die in our place and for our sin. And so the big picture, the big picture that we have to remember as we, as we look at this passage is that God created good, man fell into sin, but God has promised to redeem us. He has promised to be our savior. And what we read here is the beginning of that promise uh, being fulfilled in verse 26, in the sixth month, angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the angel of God, this glorious being, goes to Nazareth. And Nazareth, is a, it's a small village. It's six miles from the, the, the main road. It's remote. It's isolated. It's not a, a metropolitan area. It's not a hip and happening place. It's a village of really 100 to maybe 200 people. And with a village like this, it's isolated. And it would have been a very Jewish place, a place where the people would have held together in a very tight-knit community, and they would have taken their faith in God very seriously. It's an interesting thing. Uh, a, a couple weeks ago when we were in Israel, we actually went to Nazareth, which is a large city today. Today, you can stand down at that road, that road that's six miles away, you can see Nazareth all over the place. But in Jesus's day, it was just over a hill, hidden from sight. It was a, a, a small place, an unnoticeable place. We went there, and one of the places we went, they'd done some excavations of, of the, the village of Nazareth in the day of Jesus, and they discovered a a wine press, a vineyard and a wine press. And it's interesting because in a community of that size, of 100 to 200 people, when the time for harvest would come, this was a community event. This is something that everyone would come together for. This was something that the whole community would draw in and they would have those who would be harvesting the grapes and they would have those who would be, you know, collecting them and putting them into the wine press. And then the children and some of the women would stomp the grapes with their feet to get the juice out. It, you know, it, they found the wine press and, and very likely it, it would just make sense. Jesus lived in that community as a child he would have stomped grapes in that very wine press. Because you see, the Bible tells us about real people in real places with real events. 
So here we are in Nazareth, this little tight-knit community, and an angel comes to a woman named Mary. By the way, half of all the women in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, are named Mary or Salome. <laughs> Nothing spectacular. Nothing special. Not a woman who was set apart. Just this normal girl who was engaged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph. Now, when we talk about someone being engaged in the biblical context, it's something that is totally different than it is in our culture. In our culture, someone will get engaged, and then they won't be, and then maybe they will again, and then they won't be. And, and maybe they'll get engaged after they had been a thing, or they had been an item, or they had dated for a while. But it worked very, very differently in the time of Jesus. The parents... This, isn't this a great idea? The parents would arrange the marriage. Okay, now girls, before you get completely nervous about this, the girl did have a veto, okay? She, she did have opportunity to say, ah, no, let's, let's try again. And so there would, be this, there would be this meeting of the parents, an arrangement would be made. The girl would either accept or decline, but then she would be betrothed okay, the, the contract would be settled and then usually about a year would pass. And this young man and this young woman would have no contact with each other, no more contact than they had before. They weren't, you know, like eyeballing each other uh, before this happened, nor would they be eyeballing each other after this happened. They would be waiting for the young man to complete an addition onto his parents' house, a place for them to live. And as he worked on, on constructing and building their home, the day would approach, and then one day he would come for his bride. That's a situation that the Mary and Joseph would have been at this point. They were betrothed. The parents had come together. They'd made an arrangement, and Mary said, well, I, I, I guess so. And Joseph said, yes. And he went home to, to build his house and, and they are both waiting and looking forward to this day when an angel comes. And there is a disruption to Mary and to Joseph's life that is unparalleled to anything that I think any of us have ever experienced. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Can you imagine a heavenly being, a glorious heavenly being appearing and calling you favored and saying, The Lord is with you. This one who dwells in the presence of God comes and says, God is with you. You're like, I'm not so sure about that. What, what an amazing thing. You, you can see why Mary would be put off by this. She would be unsettled by this. Here is this glorious being who dwells in the very presence of God, yet he calls me favored. Yet he says that God is with me. So she was troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This sounds great. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> you know what? When it says favored by God, that does not mean that life will be simple. 
Please understand this. God often brings blessed disturbances into our lives. He brings a break from the pattern that we're comfortable with. And it's not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. And it's not always fun all the way along. So here is this Jewish girl living in a very Jewish village who is told that she is going to conceive a son. And it's very obvious that not only did the angel mean and did Mary understand that this was going to happen now, this wasn't something that would happen after she was married to Joseph, but she was going to conceive a son supernaturally while she was yet betrothed. You know, that, that was not terribly socially acceptable in that day. This was something that would cause her immediately to be shunned as an outcast. Uh, we, we read in, in Matthew that her husband Joseph was planning to quietly divorce her. That he was going to just put her away. They were betrothed, but he would break that betrothal with a divorce. This was something that could have ended with a public execution. You know, this was a disruption that though God sent an angel to Joseph and caused Joseph to understand that this really was God's thing that was happening, it would bring disruption to Mary and Joseph's life. I mean, they had a little business there in Nazareth with Joseph being a, a tecton, a workman. Um, but it meant probably, I would guess, because of the scandal of what happened, that when they had to go to Bethlehem for a census, they stayed. We think probably about three years. It talks about when the wise men come from the east, it talks about Jesus being basically a toddler. They go to Bethlehem and Jesus is born there. They just don't bother going back to Nazareth because, well, things aren't so good there right now. And then God gives Joseph a dream and they get drug off to Egypt. Now they're not even in their home country. Eventually they come back to Nazareth. But you get these hints in the gospel. You get these hints that things weren't so great in Nazareth even then. You get the religious leaders asking Jesus, who is your father? And you wonder. You wonder if this cloud continued to follow them. You know, they experienced a lot of pain and grief. Even in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see it just in a couple of weeks. They take Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord after he is born there in Bethlehem. And this old man comes. And this old man, oh, you know, old guys like to hold babies, right? And so, oh, he's going to come and he's going to bless the baby. But what does he say? This child is going to cause a sword to pierce your soul. Mom, isn't that just what you want to hear? Congratulations on your firstborn who will plunge a dagger in your heart. There is going to be pain and difficulty that is going to come in the midst of this. And yet, the angel said, Mary, you have found favor with God. 
You are favored. I can think of no greater honor than to be the one through whom the eternal, glorious, and infinite God would enter humanity. Jesus, the name means God saves or the salvation of God. He would be fully God and yet fully man. Something I don't think we can truly comprehend. The eternal God put on human flesh and he was born through a peasant girl. Can you imagine this? Mary called Jesus son. Mary called God in human flesh my son. She cradled him in her arms. She taught him words. <laughs> he called her mom. That, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's an honor it's an honor that is too great for anyone. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Maybe Jesus is about seven. And they're laying in bed at night. And they're both just laying there wide awake. And Mary kind of rolls over and she says, Do you think we're screwing him up? They, okay, now I've had those conversations with my wife, and sometimes they're funny conversations. We laugh, yeah, we really are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but then you have those conversations like that, don't you? As parents, have you not had that conversation where it wasn't funny? You're just thinking, I'm inadequate for this. This is, this is an honor this is a task that is beyond me. Verse 32, the angel says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So the angel tells Mary, you're going to have a king. You're going to have a king. Now, Israel had a, a history of kings, but there hadn't been a king, a real king, in a long, long time. Uh, the line of David had ended when the Babylonians, remember when they destroyed Jerusalem and our friend Zedekiah? He had been taken as a prisoner to Babylon. There he died, and with him died the line of the kings. And there were more, no more Davidic kings. No, no more... Um, descendants of David to, to reign and to rule on the throne. But, but through his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah God had, had made a prophecy, and a prophecy had made a promise. I'll get it out eventually. I, I, if I keep trying. God made a promise in Isaiah 11.1 1, that a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse. You ever cut down a tree that you want to get rid of and it keeps sprouting up? And you just can't kill the thing. And, you know, you start drilling holes in and pouring Roundup in it. You know, you're, just, you're just trying to kill. And yet a shoot comes up and a shoot comes up. And so what God is, says is, I'm going to bring up a shoot from the stump of Jesse, from the line of David, from the descendants of David is going to come up the king who will reign forever. It's interesting. Um, through 
his adoptive father Joseph. Jesus is in the line of David. He's adopted into the family line of David through his mother Mary, who we find out is a relative of Elizabeth. And what do we know about Elizabeth from last week? That she is a daughter of Aaron. She is in the priestly line. How interesting is that? It's that our Savior is both priest and king. He is the only one who is only who is both priest and king. Well, all of this information is overwhelming to Mary, but there is one issue that pushes its way to the front. You know, she's just been told that, that she's going to have this baby who's going to be king. But the first thing that she thinks, whoa, 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 there is a problem here. There's a step that we have missed. She says this, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? In, in verse 27, twice it refers to, to Mary by calling her a virgin in the, in the Greek language. It's the word parthenos. It's a word that very clearly, very distinctly means a mature female who has not had any sort of sexual encounter. It, basically, Mary is saying, listen, I've been told how this works. And um, th this is not a possibility. This isn't even an option. If this were a multiple choice, choice question, uh, having a baby would not be one of the, the choices because we haven't gone to step one yet. And so the angel replies to her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, please understand that this is not some sort of physical thing. This isn't mythology. This isn't God acting like a man. This is God putting on human flesh. Understand, this is how the incarnation was accomplished. There wasn't an incarnation, okay? Because there are cult groups out there that will teach that God in, in, in a bodily form came down and had sexual relations with Mary, and that's how Jesus was born. No, 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 no. What, is, what does Scripture tell us? John 4, 24, God is spirit, right? God is spirit. There is nothing physical that takes place here. The physical is the result. It is not the cause. Great are the mysteries of God. Do we understand how this happened? No. But we do know this, that the result was the incarnation of God. The, the eternal God, God the Son, who, who was part of the Trinity from all eternity past, put on human flesh in that moment. That this is how the incarnation was achieved. Well, this is pretty overwhelming, especially for a, a young woman to handle in the context in which she lived, which is why the Lord gave her, I think, a much older relative who would understand, who would be there with her. And so in verse 36, the angel says, and consider your relative Elizabeth, even she is conceived in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her. That's the sixth month. At the beginning of the passage, it says during the sixth month, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth, who we heard about just earlier in Luke's gospel, how she, even though she was as old as dirt, 
and her husband even older, God gave them a child. And she conceived, and now it is in her sixth month. And the angel says this, for who, it is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, Mary is not going to be able to get through this on her own. She is not going to be able to, to walk this road without others walking with her. And so the, the Lord gives her Elizabeth to encourage her and to walk with her. You notice this, that Mary goes and spends three months with Elizabeth. She's there until John the Baptist is born. She is there for this key time. Because, you know, it, Mary's answer here, look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. What a beautiful answer. What a perfect answer. What an amazing thing. And yet you got to know, you got to know that as she walked from Nazareth all the way to this village in Judah, this week's long walk, probably took her about seven days to walk that journey. There had to be moments where she thought, was that even real? I mean, did I just get some bad food or something? I mean, the pizza was just undercooked or, you know, was that real? What am I doing? Where am I going? Why am I even going to? There had to be so many questions. But she goes. She, she submitted to what God had called her to. In the moment, she submitted much like her son would. The, the first passage that I thought of when I read Mary's answer of, I am the Lord's servant, may it be done to me according to your word. I think the, the scripture that is closest to that are the words that Jesus himself spoke 30 plus years later. Luke 22. Not my will, but yours be done. Just submission to God. It's the kind of surrender that God wants from each of us. Isn't that true? He wants us to just lay down our lives in worship of him. Uh, Paul puts it so beautifully in Romans 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that what Mary does? She just says, okay, God, here's my life. If this is what you're going to choose for me, if this is the road you want me to walk, if this is what you have for me, I'm your servant. I belong to you. I'm yours to use as you want. Oh, what an example for us to follow. What an example for us to follow. When God brings a blessed disruption into our lives, to submit, to just surrender to it, to just simply say, okay, Lord, here we go. It says, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth had just what Mary needed in that moment. Listen to this. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what she says now is going to come from the Holy Spirit speaking through her. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me? The, the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth had no way of knowing that. She had no way of knowing what was going on with Mary. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord gave her discernment. The Lord gave her this word of knowledge. The Lord gave her faith to speak into her young relative's life, to encourage her, to, to build her up. Isn't that what fellowship is supposed to do? As we come together, you don't just believe everything that, that someone tells you, but as the Lord gives you discernment, as the Lord gives you a word to speak into their life, isn't that what we are called to do for each other? Elizabeth reassures her and encourages her and spurs her on in doing the thing that God has called her to do. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 speaks to us, doesn't it? That we are to watch out for one another, to provoke love and good works. Now, we're good at provoking each other, aren't we? With sarcasm and with all sorts of nonsense. Man, I can become so provoking towards my wife. You know, it's, it's, there are times it's like I'm just trying to irritate her. That's what it looks like. I'm just stupid. But we're really good at provoking in that way, aren't we? But here, we're to provoke towards love and good deeds and not neglecting to gather together. So we're to come together it, to encourage each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. To build each other up. And so God gave Mary Elizabeth. God gave Mary this overwhelming task, but he gave her Elizabeth too. To walk with her, to encourage her, to build her up. And then finally we see the last thing. We saw Mary's surrender. We see her in fellowship with Elizabeth. But then Mary makes a second choice. She, she chose to surrender. She chose to enter into fellowship. But then she chose one more thing. In the midst of the messiness of this blessed disruption, she chose to worship. She chose to worship. Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. Now you gotta, you gotta remember this is a pregnant teenager in a world that stones girls. This is a young woman whose betrothed husband is considering divorcing her. This is a young woman whose whole life has just been turned upside down. But she says this, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. By the way, notice this, Mary recognizes she needs a Savior. This whole thought of Mary being sinless, it doesn't match the words of Mary who praises her Savior, the one who will save her. Partway through verse 48, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Mary is not evaluating this 
by looking at her circumstances. She isn't evaluating it by how easy life is right now. But she's evaluating it by the honor that God has given her. This blessed disruption, this overwhelming privilege and honor that God has laid out before her. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And now she begins to praise the Lord for everything that he is and all that he's done. He's done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his, his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. And it says that Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Some of us are in the midst of blessed interruptions, blessed disruptions in our lives. Maybe you don't even see what the blessed part is. You just know it's a disruption. You don't get the, the great honor. You don't, you don't see where God is taking it or what he's doing. But, but God has brought this dynamic into your life that is just messing everything up. Dear friends, here is, here is a response that I think we will do well to emulate. We surrender to God. God, what you have chosen for me, I will walk in it. I will walk in it. I will... I will be your man here. I will be your woman here. I will live for you here. I will receive what you've given to me. We can seek fellowship. We can seek others who will walk with us, who will partner with us, who will encourage us, who will call us onward, who will provoke us in the right ways. And we can choose to worship in the midst of it. We can choose to worship a God who, though we don't always understand what it is that he's doing, we can understand this. He is always worthy of our worship. He is always good and he is always faithful. You know, this morning we get a chance to take communion together, to celebrate communion as the body of Christ and as we step toward that, I would encourage you to be thinking about this. What, what disruptions is the Lord working in your life that you have been fighting against, that you have been struggling with, that you have felt like they are beating you down? What disruptions are going on that you need to surrender to? That you need to seek fellowship, begin to share this with others, so that they can walk alongside of you, encourage you, and strengthen you. And instead of choosing to whine in the midst of it, how about if we become people who choose to worship? And choose to worship the king in the midst of the mess as Mary did. You know, the Savior came, he put on human flesh. He came not just to teach, not just to heal, but he came to save. He came to die in our place and for our sin. That final night that he was with his disciples before he 
was taken and eventually went to the cross. He gathered them together, and as they celebrated the Passover dinner together, he, he instituted a new thing with them. And he told them to do this until he returns. And he has not come back yet. And so we do this as his disciples, as those who are gathered to him this morning. We come to celebrate at his table to do his thing. He took his disciples and it says that he gave them bread. And he said, this is my body given for you. I don't think they understood it at that point. I don't think they got what it was about to happen. I think that weeks later, it dawned on them that he was talking about the sacrifice that was about to take place. That he was talking about his crucifixion, his death in our place, his payment for our sin. So this is my body given for you. And then in the same way after supper, he took a cup and he gave it to them and he said, take and drink of this. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. His blood that washes our sin away. His life poured out in payment for our sin. Worship team's going to come up. We're going to worship as the men distribute the elements. I encourage you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, to take of the bread, to take of the cup, and to hold it, and then we'll celebrate together. Father, we thank you for this morning and for this opportunity, for your word and for your sacrifice. And Father, we pray that in such a significant way that you would meet us here this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, come forward.